The following audio is from LifePoint Church, located in O'Fallon, Missouri. For more information about LifePoint Church, visit us online at thelifepointconnection.com. Fourth of July, yeah, we are very privileged to live in this land and enjoy the freedom that we have living in this land. So let's not miss that. Let's be very thankful to a God who has allowed that to be a reality. Well, as you notice, I'm not Eric. I'm a little bit shorter, and he's definitely way skinnier. So uh, the reality is uh, I get the privilege to share with you this morning. For those of you that might be visiting during this summer month, we are actually looking at the book of Proverbs, and our goal is to see the practical and the applicable wisdom that Proverbs has to offer us And so what we're going to do today is following from what Eric did last Sunday. If you weren't here last Sunday, you can hear that message online. But he spoke really to the reality that the only difference from those of us who are belonging to Jesus and the wicked is Jesus. It is the gospel. And so if you remove that from the story, our stories look the same and we need to rejoice in that. Today... I'm going to be dealing with a topic, a subject, that Solomon had a lot to say about. That topic is laziness, the sluggard. So the sluggard in Proverbs is not someone we aspire to. We we don't want to reach that place. We don't want to go and become that. We're going to contrast that against what Jesus would ask us as his disciples to be like. And if you're not aware, the word disciple was used way before the word Christian. But the reality is Christian means little Christ. Disciple means one who is following or becoming like their teacher. Both apply. And that's where we're going to be. So you can go ahead and turn to Proverbs 26 if you would like to. We're not quite ready to jump in share with you a little bit of a story. So many years ago, probably about 15, 16 years ago, I used to work in a foundry. I don't know if you've ever been in a foundry, but they're hot. So in July in particular, there was a period of routine maintenance that had to take place in all the furnaces. So what I would do as part of my team was overseeing a lot of that maintenance. So you're talking 12, 16 hours a day, and you stop when the work is done. So I had just worked eight straight days. I worked overnight. And so during the night, we get things done. It's 130 degrees where it's cool. You can imagine being a little bit worn out. So I get off after eight days, 120 plus hours of work. And I'm driving myself home from that shift. And I'm saying, man, I can't wait to get home and sleep. Now, I don't know about you, but if you've worked eight straight days, And in that kind of environment, sleep becomes something you really, really value. I wanted to rest. So there was this challenge. You see, I had two little girls at the time. They were very small. They were toddlers. Well, when you have toddlers, they don't understand your need for rest. If you're a parent here, you know that really doesn't go away for quite some time. And so the reality is here I am going home to that, and I've decided... I'm going to go home, I'm going to turn the AC down to 60, I'm going to take a cold shower, and I'm going to sleep 
for at least 12 hours. And if anybody bothers me, they don't deserve my attention. I deserve my rest. Justifiable, right? Completely okay. You're my family. You're my daughters. You have really not seen me for over eight days, but you don't deserve my attention. All of the things that need to be gotten taken care of because, you know, as fathers, as husbands, there's stuff we have to do. Our wives are waiting for us to get things done. You're not as important as my sleep. Justifiable, right? Sadly, I was preparing myself as I drove home to have all of this, you know, passive-aggressive, terrible representation of Jesus as a man and a father and a husband. And I was playing the role of the sluggard. Now, I want you to understand I am in no way condemning or saying anything negative about needing rest or having to have sleep. We're human. God gives us rest as a gift. But I had the attitude of a sluggard. What is that? Well, let's go to Proverbs 26, beginning in verse 12. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the road. There's a lion in the streets. As a door turns on its hinges, so does a sluggard on his bed. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish. It wears him out to bring it back to his mouth. The sluggard is wiser in his own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. There we have a sluggard as it is listed there. So some things to keep in mind. Some synonyms for a sluggard. Well, that would be a do-nothing, a bum. That's what I wanted to be. A stick in the mud, a loafer, a deadbeat, or a couch potato. Any of you ever been guilty of being accused of one of those things? Arguably, not the greatest compliment. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? Why did we begin with that verse before we got into the talking of the sluggard? Because as we're going to learn, a sluggard is also one of the smartest people you've ever met. They've never had their intelligence tested, but they are incredibly bright. They're really, really good at not doing anything. That takes effort, right? So we need to be aware that the lazy are also often the prideful. And we need to recognize that that is not who we are called to be. They're also afraid, the lazy, the sluggard has made an idol out of comfort and safety. They are hiding. There's a lion in the street, Proverbs twenty-two thirteen. The sluggard says, there's a lion outside. I shall be killed in the streets. See, the, the sluggard's really good at adding drama to the existential crisis in such a way that it's believable and viable. And so they can stay inside where they're safe and that's reasonable, it's justifiable. That's the sluggard's M.O., there's a lion in the street. I'm afraid. No, pull the covers over my head and hide. That's a sluggard. That's what a sluggard does. What they don't recognize is that there is also a lion that they need to be aware of. That's the lion in 1 Peter 5.8. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. See, there is a real enemy, and he preys on the reality of people who isolate and insulate themselves from reality. That is his favorite prey, 
Because if you're trapped in your bed, stuck in your head, you're easy to get a hold of. You're easy to take control of because it's only you to convince you to do whatever it is that you're going to do next, which is probably to turn over. As the door turns on its hinges, so a sluggard in his bed. You can imagine that, right? Door, it opens and it closes. You're in bed. You roll over. You roll over to the other side. As you get older, as you roll over, there's creaking, just like older hinges and doors. Just turning over, turning over, convinced that moving side to side is good enough. They're a master at procrastination. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I promise I will get to it tomorrow. I will do it tomorrow. Tomorrow's when I'm going to do it. This is how the sluggard works. It's a miracle for the sluggard if they're actually able to complete anything they start. That's from verse 15. He cannot lift his hand back to his mouth. Imagine that. You ever been to a party where it's, you know, they've got a nacho bar. You've got somebody standing there and you're like, are you, are you double dipping, dude? Or what's going on? I just can't pick up the chip. You need some help with that? Yeah, I mean, it's really exhausting. How far does it need to travel to my face? Like, that sounds absurd, right? But that is the sluggard. How often are we there? How often are we in a place where we find ourselves saying, eh, but praying? Really? I'm going to pray? I have to say words out loud for somebody else? Man, I could sleep. That would be better. Proverbs 12, 27, it tells us that the lazy don't even cook their food. They don't roast their game. They work so hard as to get it, but then they don't use it. As someone who's an avid outdoorsman, one of the things that bothers me tremendously is when someone goes and takes something and then never utilizes it. They just throw it away as waste. That's exactly what happens. Oh, I've got a trophy here. I, I, it was successful. Oh, how, how good did it taste? I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? Well, it was so much work, I just took some pictures and left it out there. How irresponsible. How foolish. How lazy. That's the sluggard. That's how the sluggard is seen. However, we get a little bit more of a picture of the danger of being a sluggard as we keep going. See, we're often guilty of wanting to do things. We're often guilty of getting close to things and not finishing them. We're often at a place. How many of you have ever started a diet? Anybody? Anybody ever not finished a diet? You're 100% safe in this room. No one here can say that they haven't started and stopped. So the reality is that's a fairly safe place to be. It's not a good place to be. When I used to train clients, I had a client who had a heart condition that needed a surgery. The surgery couldn't be performed because of where she was at. It took a lot of effort and a lot of work. We needed to take her down 110 pounds from where she was. We did that. You know what's sad about that reality? She had her operation, and nine months later, she was back to that weight. And the operation wasn't able to do what it needed to do because she couldn't do the discipline that she needed. She longed for something she couldn't get. She didn't want to do the work. Proverbs 13.4 talks about this longing of the sluggard. The soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing, while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied. Interesting contrast. You want application? Diligence 
brings about a rich supply. Now, what are some things that come to mind when we think of somebody who's diligent? They start and they finish. They do what they say they're going to do when they said they were going to do it. They are dependable. They're consistent. They're not perfect. The Bible says they are richly supplied. Solomon makes it more clear as his entire desire here is that we avoid this. Proverbs 21, 25 through 26. The desire of the sluggard kills him. For his hands refuse to labor. All day long he craves and craves, but the righteous gives and does not hold back. Imagine the contrast here. The righteous, generous. The sluggard, dead. The difference, an absolute refusal to work. Now, am I in some way trying to imply that this is a blab it and grab it prosperity garbage that you hear so often? Not at all. Do not hear that in any regard. However, you should hear that there is a, a, a work for you to do, and that work requires you to get out of bed. God has not called you to stay in bed. God has not chosen you to be a person who knows the best side of the pillow, and that's it. That's not who God has made you to be. Sluggards are miserable, miserable people. How many of you have ever been around a person who is just impossible to please? Unbelievably grouchy. They just grumpy all the time. You can't make them happy, but they know everything. When you ask them what's wrong, they can't tell you, but they're still grouchy. They're still grumpy. They're still fussy. That's a sluggard. That's someone who is rationalizing everything. Laziness seeps into their bones. It just grabs them. But Christian, be aware. Laziness is a very easy trap to fall into. What does that look like when a Christian falls into laziness? Well, I'll pray. I'll read my Bible. I'm going to share the hope of Jesus. I mean, I'm going to do it. I promise I'm going to do it. It's the thought that counts. Jesus sees my heart, right? That's good enough. He loves that I thought it. I'm good. That's laziness. No, 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 you're called to work. You're called to do. Solomon commends the disciplined. He commends them to us as an example. We see as we've done this look in Proverbs consistently, we are called to get wisdom, to seek understanding. They don't just come floating out of the sky. It doesn't just happen. We're called to do those things. Why? Why is it that the sluggard of all these people, is so resistant to the reality of work. Well, verse 16 and verse 12 give us a clue. That's why we started with verse 12. They are wiser in their own eyes than seven men who can answer sensibly. They know everything. Their intelligence is masterful. It's never been tested. It's never been tried, but they know that they're right. You have a teenager. You've probably met somebody like that. So, sorry, teenagers. The reality is your parents, they're right. Hate to tell you that, but we often find ourselves convinced that we know everything when we have no experience to prove that we know anything. And that's where the sluggard lives. So if you're keeping score, the sluggard has these as his high marks. 
They're happy with excuses. They're hinged to their bed. They do nothing. They're hopeless at completing anything that they start. They are desperate for fulfillment. Look around the world that we're in today right now. People are longing for fulfillment, but they're too lazy because they're afraid of fake lions. They're arrogant in their approach to others who see life differently. If you're looking at this list of marks and you're saying, oh, that stings a little bit. Well, keep in mind, you Christian were bought at a price. You belong to God. This would be a disgusting way to live your life. This would be a horrible tragedy to take the gift of salvation, the death of Christ on the cross, the absorbing of the wrath of your sin on your behalf that you might be with him forever and say, eh, I need a nap. How tragic would that be? So when we look at the reality of what we're called to do as disciples in contrast to the sluggard, we're going to see some things in the Bible that show us what we are to do. We are to be about the excellent work of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That is us. That is where we are going. We're not going to look at everything. We're going to look at just a few. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus has a lot to say to us about what it is that he would expect from those who are his disciples. Those of us who are Christians, little Christ. Matthew 5, 16. In the same way, let your light, would indicate You have a light. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. So you've done something. This is not works-based salvation. This is not you have to do works in order to gain favor. That is completely missing the point. The reality is this is the activity of faithful obedience because of the work of Christ. Christ has accomplished all of the work. We are busy in faith and obedience. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You have a light, you're to do good works. Paul would say it this way, Ephesians 2, beginning in verse 10. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You can't walk and stay in bed at the same time. Doesn't work. We have a responsibility to do One of the largest and greatest responsibilities that you, Christian, have is the reality of evangelism. It's what you do when you leave here today. It's what you do when you're out there. That is something you are called to, and we know it as the Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20, Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go! Can you stay in bed and go? It'll be really hard for you to pull off. Therefore, and make more action, disciples of all nations, baptizing effort, them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them more effort to observe, which means obey. The NIV, if you're reading that, will actually use obey. It's a better translation of that word. Teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. Wait a minute, there's commands. What are we supposed to do when we see commands and hear commands? Do the commands. 
And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Clearly, a huge part of good work is shining that light. But if you're hinged to your bed, afraid of fake lions, afraid of what may happen, you're not able to obey. What fake lions might we have to be afraid of? Well, here's a fake lion for you. Other people's opinions. How many of you have let that keep you quiet when you have the hope of Jesus Christ in your heart and on your lips to share with the world? Well, what about the reality that there is this pervasive lie, this disgusting sewage in our society that says truth cannot offend. It must be this warm, fuzzy thing that we just hug. No, truth, real truth, which is the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ, divides more than anything else. Truth is not something that you just snuggle up with. You can't let that fake lion rob you of the opportunity to obey. Maybe your fake lion is just your laziness. You know, well, I could, you know, pray for them. I know they're lost. I know if they died right now, they're spending eternity in hell. That's the guarantee of the Bible. If you don't have Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you die, you go to hell. There's not another option. There's not another story. There's not another thing for you to believe. That's the reality. So baby, that's where you are. You're like, "Ah, I could witness to them. I mean, I'm going to be at the family thing later this afternoon. But it's not like they're going to die today. They won't go to hell today. I really want to nap before we get into that. Sounds harsh, right? But that's the truth of it. How often have we made that decision? How often have we chosen our own selfish, fake lion to prevent us from being on mission as we are called? But that's not all. We're we're given more. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Pretty clear we're supposed to be doing something here. Love one another. Jesus is speaking there in in that particular section of the Gospel of John. Romans 12, 10 and 11. We have Paul. He's saying something similar. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Imagine with me for a minute today what it would look like if the church of Jesus Christ, if the church of LifePoint made it an effort, a purposeful intention to outdo each other with honor. What would that look like? What would the world see as they peer into this weird thing called Christianity? If they saw a group of people who are wildly different from incredibly diverse backgrounds who have these remarkable testimonies of the same man, Jesus Christ, saving them and making him his and they actually are almost competitive in outdoing one another with honor. Imagine what that looks like. What does that look like at home, mom and dad? What does that look like between you and your spouse? How beautiful of a picture could you show the world, your family? That's where it starts. If it doesn't begin in the family, it won't happen here in the church. We have a responsibility. Do not be slothful. In zeal, be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Serve is a verb. 1 John 4.11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to 
love one another. So we've got to be busy about the work that God has called us to, primarily the work of evangelism when we leave and go out. We have a job here of loving one another. We also have some other things we're supposed to do with our one another's. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. How many of you know what a spur is? What is a spur used for? It's to make a horse go a direction or pick up speed or do something that you, the rider, want that horse to do. Is that fair? So, are spurs comfortable? If I walked up to one of you and hit you with a spur on my heel, how would that feel? Painful. How many of you would say, man, he loves me so much. Goodness, I'm I'm so touched. Yet the reality is the word of God has just said to us that we are to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. We won't tackle that as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. Ephesians 4, Paul in the book of Ephesians is desperate to teach us about the body of Christ. 4, verse 15 and 16, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up. This is not talking about growing up in the sense of having something get bigger as in the head count of your church. This is talking about the reality of the people in your church growing deeper in their roots of the word of God and stronger in their maturity and their reality of understanding what they're called to. Grow up in every way into him who is head into Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together by every joint in which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow. What required? What is required for growth? That our parts are working as they should so that it builds itself up in love. So we just learned that we're to love one another. We're told to build each other up, spur one another on. When we're doing that together, growth is actually taking place. Ephesians 4.29, same chapter. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. When was the last time you had something corrupting to say about a brother or sister in Christ? When was the last time you played the telephone game of gossip and shared half-truths and fake facts about somebody you never actually spoke to? It's damaging and it's dangerous and it should not be done. But what we should be doing is using our mouths as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. So if previously we're loving one another, we're outdoing one another with honor, and now we're giving each other grace. How incredible of an environment. How could you look at that and not want to be a part of it? That is the family that is the church. That is the body of Christ. So we've looked at what it is we're called to do when we're out and not gathered amongst ourselves. We've looked at what we should do when we're gathered together, when we're with one another. Now I want to move our entire attention to something that is an internal work. It's something we do on our own with the Holy Spirit. It's something we're busy with for ourselves. 
You see, when Jesus calls you and God reveals him to you, he saves you. And at that point, you are justified. Justified means you are positionally right before God because of the gift of the blood of Jesus Christ. So we understand this. But then there's the walk of discipleship. And that is where sanctification is taking place. And sanctification is taking that which was purchased and making it more like the person who purchased it, which is Jesus Christ. So sanctification is taking place. And for us to become more like Christ, we have to begin somewhere. Obedience in how we reach the world. Obedience in how we love one another and build each other up. But there's more work to do. Sometimes it's the heaviest part of the work. You see, we need to kill the flesh. Romans 13, 14. But put on the Lord Jesus Christ. You didn't notice that requires effort. That's work. And make no provision. No provision. If you're not clear on what no means, I'm not sure I can help you. The reality is no means no. No provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. That matters. No provision. Galatians 5, 16 and verse 24. But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We're to walk by something. Last week, Eric talked about the difference between those who are redeemed and those who are wicked. Those of us who have been redeemed are animated by the Holy Spirit. We have a guide. We have a helper. We have someone who is teaching us. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have, have, that word is used on purpose, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Crucifixion is a brutal thing. It is something that is meant to demonstrate an absolute rejection. Have you crucified your flesh? 1 Peter 2.11 Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Now, Peter here, I want you to pay attention. He's going to come back up in a minute. And the reality is, as I mentioned before, Peter is writing to us for a lot of reasons. But one of the great things about Peter is he's writing from experience of what he did wrong. We get a really unique look at an individual's life who missed it, missed it, missed it, and consistently Jesus showed up and made it okay. And he learned. So keep in mind that Peter wrote that. But we're moving to our final thing that we'll talk about today. For us as disciples, in contrast to those who are sluggards. And that is probably one of the most significant and difficult things for us to do. And that is we are to be guarding and renewing our minds. Because the reality is your mind is a playground for the enemy. Your mind is the loudest voice you will ever hear. There's nobody in your life that will speak louder to you than your mind, except for the Holy Spirit, who you need to learn to listen to. We have to do this. You see, a filthy and arrogant mind produces nothing more than a cowardly sluggard. 
We're called to die to live, kill our flesh, to love one another, to build each other up, to take the light of the gospel to a world that is desperate. But if we're convinced in our mind that there's fake lions out there, we're not going to get very far. Romans 12, verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. Now we're going to see this guy show up again, Matthew 16, 23. But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Might be a spur there. I don't know how comfortable you would feel with Jesus in the flesh saying that to you, but that'd be hard. He didn't pull Peter aside all by himself. Hey, we need to have one of those conversations. How many of you love that? Hey, we need to talk. You get that text message from the spouse. Hey, I need to talk to you when you get home. What about, oh, don't worry about it. That was not the case. They were doing as we are commanded to do. As we go, they were going. They were continually walking. Jesus walked constantly with his guys. He's talking to him. Something has been said, if you want to go read about it, Jesus has just foretold his death, and and Peter's not okay with that. Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your what? Mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Romans 8, 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. What does a sluggard do? They crave and crave all day long. The longing of a sluggard kills them. That's what the Proverbs told us. For you... But set your mind on the, on the Spirit, because the Spirit is life and peace. How many of you looking at your life, let's just look at the last week, would say that it is marked by vibrance and peacefulness? Let's look back over the six months of this year, 2021. Have you had peace in your person? Have you had rest? Or has it been lots of chaos? You know, one comes because we're focusing on ourselves. We do this thing called navel gazing and we run into walls and people laugh at us. I know where I'm going. I definitely know where I'm going. I can see it. So I hit a wall. That wall, I'm a victim. Somebody built that wall. I was walking that direction. Garbage. The reality is you need to pick your head up. You need to focus your mind on the Spirit and what the Holy Spirit is telling you. Colossians 3, 1 through 3. If you have been raised with Christ, seek, that requires effort, the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above where Christ is, not on things that are on earth. For you have died. That's your flesh. That's your natural man. You have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. If you want a promise that you can hang on to, a hope that you can be anchored with, it's right there. If you are hidden with Christ in God, you are untouchable. You are not 
in a position where you are at risk from a fake lion. The real lion we read about from 1 Peter, he can't touch you, but he hates you because you are in Christ. You belong to him. 1 Peter 1, 13 and 14, he so desperately wants us to get this. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Being sober-minded, that's right thinking. That's clarity of thought. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. So we've seen it. That's just a little short list of what Jesus would ask of us, his disciples. That's what he would, would look for in us are these things. We, we're, we're going to see here in a second, I'm going to have him put up the slide, what are the marks of a disciple? What are the things that we can look at and say, you know, if you're like me, sometimes you need to see it, to understand it, to get it, that can help us. So what are those things? Well, if you're keeping score. We looked at the sluggard. Now let's look at the disciple. They are actively at work in sharing the gospel and being the light. Is that true of you? Is that true of your life? They are sacrificially loving one another. You cannot love as the Bible calls us to love without sacrifice being a part of it. The reality is love spelled long is sacrifice. You must put others before yourself. Number three, they're using their words and their actions to build up the church. What would that look like? Have you done that? You've been here for about an hour today. Have you had an opportunity to do that? Have you spoke to someone you haven't seen since last week? Have you encouraged their heart? Have you reminded them of the promises of God, the guarantee of their protection, the beauty of belonging to Jesus? There's an opportunity for us. They are daily and deliberately crucifying their flesh. How many of you have ever wrestled with a sin? Over and over and over, you keep fighting, you keep fighting. You know when you fight with a sin, there's something that's still not done. It's not dead. A sin that is not dead is a sin that still fights you. The Holy Spirit enables you to bring that to an end. But you have to obey. Obedience often brings the death of the flesh. Number five, they are intentionally bringing their minds into submission to the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to have a couple of questions for you as the band comes back up. As they come and get ready, I want you to be thinking about some things as we go from here today. We're going to leave. We're going to go into the world. We have before us the marks of the sluggard. We have before us the marks of a disciple. We have the reality of what we can do and how we can apply that. Obedience is not hard. Taking your thoughts captive is not as hard as it sounds. Loving one another certainly should not be hard. We have that in front of us. So perhaps you're afraid you're here today. You don't have the, the power of the indwelt Holy Spirit. And you're in a position where you're afraid of those fake lions that we've been talking about. You're afraid you're going to devour the enemy. You've mastered all of the excuses to hide your sin. Good news is Jesus isn't fooled. He's waiting for you to get out of bed. Come to him. Remember, there, are no, there is no shame for those who are in Christ Jesus.
Maybe you realize you don't have a desire to even turn over. There is nothing but longing in your life. You're searching and searching and searching. Could I suggest to you that if all you have is longing, you're missing Jesus? You need Jesus. Please don't leave here today without the most ultimate fulfillment of the human experience, a relationship with your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's there. All you need to do is respond. Finally, you're preparing to go to festivities. You know that inevitably throughout the course of the day, you're going to engage with someone who does not have the hope of the gospel. You're going to be in an opportunity where you could speak in love or you could have something corrupting come out of your mouth. You're going to be in positions where you can be a disciple or a sluggard. Which decision will you make? What will the world see? Will they see a person who is wise in their own eyes? Or will they see a person who has set their mind on the things that are above and is who following the leadership of Jesus Christ? Please keep that in your mind as you go today. There's people in the back that will pray with you if you want to meet Jesus or if you just need to talk. Don't be a sluggard and stay in your seat. Do the work. Meet Jesus. He really does care and he really will change your life. I love you guys.